As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back. It is a Tuesday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Julian McKenzie with you for the next hour or so. We got so much to get to. Mike Russo always drops by, right, for the, what do we call that, Mike Check? I yep. checked with Mike Russo, Lindy Ruff, Devils head coach, is uh, in conversation with Mike Russo. Looking forward to that. Uh, look, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about a piece we're collaborating on all of a sudden, too, because yes. there's some there's some fires to put out in Ottawa, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto. And let's start there, because in Edmonton, as we're recording this uh, on Tuesday afternoon, the news has just broken. The Edmonton Oilers have placed Jack Campbell on waivers for the purpose of reassignment. So this is a guy that they signed, Julian, five-year. This is the give him the big money deal. He was going to be the guy, the missing piece. Take him over the top. And back-to-back seasons, he struggled last year. They thought he was going to come in with a fresh perspective this year. He looked good in the preseason. You did. And it just hasn't clicked. The Oilers are clearly saying, Julian, that we believe goaltending is an issue here to start the season. Jack Campbell on waivers is a pretty, that's a pretty drastic move to make before American Thanksgiving. Have you seen the save percentages for both of those guys? Yeah, and he, I mean, Stuart Skinner he, and all of this as well. Yeah. Goaltending has been a problem for, for the Edmonton Oilers. I, I mean, you look at yesterday, I mean, the fact that, uh, they tried to get off to a good start against the Vancouver Canucks. They still couldn't beat them. We can get to the Vancouver Canucks in a second here, but I think the expectations are too high and the situation is too dire for the Edmonton Oilers to go through this stretch and not do anything. This was as best as they could do for right now. Uh, they'll probably call up a goalie for well, the, looks as if they're going to call up Calvin Pickard from the minors. It looks like uh, to kind of, you know, hold down the forward. He looks like he's been doing pretty well in Bakersfield, but I mean, something had to be done. I mean, you're, you're stopping yourself short of dealing with with Jay Woodcroft or or making a trade or doing something else. The next best thing you can do 
is address goaltending, which has legitimately been the biggest problem with the team so far. I mean, but like McDavid, 10 points in nine games. And, and, and I understand that we're probably used to superhuman. Like at this point, he's got 20 points or whatever. So I understand that the bar is higher for him. But even with that bar being ridiculously high, like he's been pretty average to start the season. Um, yes. Drysaddle's been okay, but like Evander Kane has struggled. Uh, I, I know Darnell Nurse has taken a lot of heat there. Like, look, the easy move, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. The easy move is to banish Jack Campbell and again, five year, $25 million deal. I get it. But that's not going to suddenly snap Evander Kane into place and Darnell Nurse isn't going to play better. And McD like, there, there's a lot of problems in Edmonton. And, and you and I talked about this with Laz on Monday. The game against San Jose becomes a absolute go make your popcorn now. Make a tub of it and sit there and watch this play out because it has the potential to be a game of the age. Like, like they have to win this game. I can't believe I'm yeah. saying this. You have to win this game on Thursday. I agree. I think if you lose against San Jose, it's as rock bottom as you can feel. It's one thing if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you're off to a decent start or a good start and you lose that San Jose game. It's a one-off. It happens. Some of the best teams in the world lose to some of the worst teams. It happens. You obviously won't like that in the moment, but you say, you know what? There's, there's a bunch of games that come up in the season against this team. You move on. You figure it out. You had a bad night. In this particular situation, with the context of, of the bad start that they've had, putting their goalie on waivers, and I don't know if you saw some of the body language at the end of that Oilers-Canucks game yeah. last night, that was a team that looked super frustrated with everything going on. They thought that Heritage Classic win was going to be a turning point in their season. It has not been the case. You lose to the San Jose Sharks, a team that we're wondering if they're going to end up being among the worst to have ever played in the NHL, a team that they're not they're not far off from having a meeting of their own uh mike greer coming into the fold being like hey like this is unacceptable and speaking to the media about it let's not forget this with the sales sharks as well they're not as talented as as the edmonton oilers are on paper but there's some pride to be fought for for them too they're not happy about the fact that they're getting their asses kicked why should they roll over and die for a struggling edmonton oilers team thursday is going to be very fascinating for both of those teams. I expect the Oilers to win that game, but if it doesn't happen, Def Con 5. Press the panic button. Something needs to happen because you can't let your team get up. No, you can't. And can't you see this being like a Mackenzie Blackwood 53 save game incoming and San Jose wins like 3-2 in overtime and they get outshot 54-16 to and like, like you could see it because that's exactly kind of what's happened to Edmonton here. It's not like they're being completely dummied in every game, right? Like even the Vancouver game, they had the advantage in shots and some of these, like, mm -hmm. I get it. But at some point, you got to just turn that into, into wins. And, you know, McDavid, like I said, we're not, we're not conditioned to seeing Connor McDavid 60th in league scoring. We're not. Um, He's not at 100%. Early. I'm not convinced no. he is. No, like, but, this is a guy but, who... Okay, he wasn't supposed ahead. to play that outdoor game, right? Like, no, he, he was still he, recuperating from whatever injury that he had. Yeah, so I'm not convinced that. I mean, I could be wrong. Daniel Nugent Boba could tell us if if we're wrong. I'm not convinced Connor McDavid is at 100, percent and it's a much different story if he's not playing at 100, percent and all those guys are going through what they're going through. But the goaltending is at least there. The fact that they don't have a reliable netminder in net right now, that's a big problem. That's a massive problem for the Edmonton Oilers. And, yeah. and I, to your point about seeing if McKenzie Blackwood or ends up being that guy for San Jose, or what if they put like Kapokakin in there, or just, you know what, for me, it's this, even if Edmonton wins that game, like three, two in overtime or two, one, that might not be enough. Like that might, that would yeah. still be really bad for this team. They need, if they don't blow this team out the water, we're probably still going to ask questions about this team. And, and just so our readers know, you cover Calgary. I cover Ottawa. Daniel Nugent Bowman covers Edmonton. Sean McIndoe, one of a number of our, our writers who kind of has an eye on the Maple Leafs. 
The four of us are collaborating on a round table that will likely drop Wednesday morning. What did I call it in the Slack channel? The round table of the da eternally damned. Uh, <laughs> it's it's who's got eternally it damned. The, I mean, eternally damned might work for, uh, you know what? I mean, these teams have gone Look, through a lot. Maybe eternally. Ottawa, Calgary, now. Edmonton, Toronto. All of their fan bases are seething and all of them have a right to say we are. Here's basically the point of this round table is here's why we think our situation is the worst. And, you know, maybe maybe Edmonton is the worst, but they also have two of the best three players on the planet on their roster. They yeah. also have been to the playoffs, whatever, three, four years in a row. They just got to figure some stuff out. Whereas I think Calgary and Ottawa, maybe a little bit of a different bucket. Anyway, so that's coming up. I'll, I'll add that too for all. Actually, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't reveal everything from that I'm putting in. It's my a tease. This is the called article. a tease. It's just a bit of a tease. I can I can hold back. Yeah, uh, San Jose, as we mentioned, is the opponent for Edmonton later this week. Mike Greer, general manager of the San Jose Sharks, rolls into the uh, practice facility on Monday and says, "Guys, we need to talk." Now I don't know about you, Julian. Anytime somebody pulls me inside aside and says we need to talk, regardless of the situation, it's not good. Like, has anybody pulled you aside in your life and said, "Hey, Julian, we we, we should talk sometime. We need to talk." It's not good. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's like it's one thing to get pulled aside and have that happen. I'm a little bit more optimistic. The worst is when you get a text that says, "Yeah, we need to talk." Like that is that's when all the anxiety yeah. starts happening, because at least if someone pulls you aside and says we need to talk, there's a good chance that whatever you're going to hear is going to come like right away or later that afternoon or something. You get that text from somebody. You have no idea what that situation could turn itself into. And I believe that uh, according to Eric Stevens reporting, this was the first time Mike Greer and this is year two for him as general manager. He has met with players kind of one on one or coaches one on one. This is the first time. He addressed the players and the coaching staff as like a collective unit. Like all of them were in the room. And he basically said, it's unacceptable what's happening here. Effort level unacceptable, results unacceptable, like everything unacceptable in this room. And so you give up a 10 spot in back to back games. I guess my question is now, though, like there, there's going to be a feeling. Regardless of who's playing, Philadelphia's got San Jose. As we talk about, Edmonton's got San Jose. Nobody wants to be now, given the way the Sharks are being beaten down, nobody wants to be the team that loses to them for the first time, right? Like, no. That, that's the amazing thing to me. Yeah, no. You obviously don't want that, considering the, the streak of futility that they're on. But my question is this. I, I mean, I can understand that Mike Greer wants war out of his players, and it's embarrassing to go through back-to-back uh, games where you've allowed 10 goals at home, mind you. But I mean, look at the roster, right? Like Thomas Hurdle's your best player. You have Anthony Duclair, but like the rest of the guys on this team, they're like, this is not a good roster. This is not that great of a team. And while I can understand you want better from your players and you look at other rebuilding teams that have good young players around and they're at least able to play some exciting hockey, even though they're not expected to go far. I'm just not sure what you're what you expected from this team. I mean, while no one really not many people expected this team to be this bad, a lot of people still expected them to be bad, right? Yeah. So I I can understand fine, you don't want you don't want your team allowing back back to having back to back 10 goal allowed games, but it's really hard to kind of step in there in that in that locker. I mean, I I would think so from my vantage point like what are you really going to do with this roster you have assembled in front of you? Like play a little bit better. Like at the end of the day, yeah. at the end of the day, the 10 goal spots lead towards the ultimate prize, which is a guaranteed top three spot uh, in the upcoming NHL entry draft, which is what the sharks want anyway. Like you don't want to, you don't want to prop them up too hard where they somehow end up on like a three or four game winning streak. Yeah, Guys, can you can imagine, you that? Another team, can you imagine that like another team meeting guys, 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 Settle like, down. Stop. Like, stop. Yeah. Stop the winning. Stop the count. Like, you don't want to you don't want to hype them up too bad. Like, what is a meeting like that like? Like, I would love to know what that was like. Exactly. You know, and like to me, like there, there's so many stats you can throw out about San Jose's goal differential and giving up 10 in back-to-back -back games, or that poor kid with the my first San Jose Sharks game who became a meme uh at the eight-nothing game in Vancouver. Um, uh, 
To me, the most damning indictment of the stat that really jumps out is Austin Matthews has more goals than the Sharks as a team. Matthews with another two-goal, multi-goal performance Monday against Tampa in a huge come-from-behind win for the Maple Leafs who looked like they were dead and buried in that game. Matthews scores a couple of goals. And now, at what point do we start to say, let's start to think about 50 and 50? It feels a touch early to me. Like, to me, I think if Matthews at 25 games has between kind of 22 and 27 goals, I think it's okay. I feel like it's a touch early for 50 and 50. You? The fact that we're talking about it suggests that it really isn't too early to talk about it, but also the brightest spot on this team has been him and and Marner and the the core four as a whole. There have been so many other things to nitpick about the Toronto Maple Leafs, but their star players have actually been playing well to start off the year. And Austin Matthews, I mean, the fact that he had those those back-to-back hat tricks, right? That's helping him in, in this chase too, but he's also just looked really good. He's been able to come through for his team when they, when they need him. I mean, I don't know if he'll actually do it. I mean, he could cool off, but I can understand why we're having this conversation. The fact that you've brought it up into the world suggests that it isn't too early to at least start thinking about it. Yeah, 13 goals. Let me ask you this on on where you stand on 50 goals in 50 games, because there's only a handful of players, Brett Hall, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, Mike Bossy, Rocket Richard. Those are the five guys that have done 50 and 50. But there's a couple of guys, Julian, and Cam Neely is the one that jumps out to me. Cam Neely once scored 50 goals in his first 44 games. But problem was, he missed 20-some-odd games due to injury, and so the league doesn't recognize that as 50 and 50 because you got to do it within your team's first 50 games. I ask you, yeah, should the NHL change that, or should we as a collective change that and say, you know what? If you score 50 goals within the first 50 games you played, that's good enough for us. Because we would open the door, I believe it's to Neely. Uh, I think Alex McGillney had a year like that. Didn't and Austin I Matthews, say, like about a year or two ago, go he, through he, a stretch with like 50 consecutive, like it wasn't to start off the season. I, but, but I think it's got to be your first like 50 games of the year. Like yeah, I, your first I, 50 games of the year. I think we should count that, shouldn't we? I, I think it's definitely more impressive to just kind of start off the year or just keep going on that front. Yeah. Um, but also, if you do it, in a, I mean, then again, you can manipulate the numbers to say what you want. So you could say like, okay, fine, you made it work over this 50-game stretch that we randomly pulled out throughout the year. But there is something to be said about starting the year off strong and continuing that pace as you go along. Like, I, I think it's a little bit different. I, I don't know if I'm ready to... I would like to be convinced on why the alternative route would be just as good, if not better, than a guy starting off the season and, and continuing that on through his team's first first 50 games. Okay, I'll tell you what, speaking of starting strong, I feel like that's what we've done in this podcast. I think so, too. We're, we're going to go next level here because we're going to take a break, step out for a second. When we come back, Mike Russo is going to drop by, as he always does, for his Tuesday chat here on The Athletic Hockey. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are back at it. Ian Mendes, Julian McKenzie with you. And as I said, uh, Mike Russo joins us uh, every Tuesday when his schedule uh, permits it. It does this week. Uh, Mike Russo, listen, um, this I'm sure has been a difficult week for you and a lot of people in Minnesota. And 
before we get to your conversation with Lindy Ruff, which uh, Julie and I are really interested in hearing, I know our listeners are, uh, take us into what a difficult week this has been for you being at that memorial service this week for Adam Johnson too. Just probably uh, a bit of a heavy heart for you uh, right now. Um, yeah, I, uh, um, you know, it was a very emotional uh, uh, service yesterday. And, you know, I think what helps write these stories actually is, is that I didn't know Adam at all. Um, and now I feel like I know everything about Adam. Um, and, and being there yesterday certainly helped uh, paint that picture. Um, it, was, it was unbelievable, uh, quite frankly, how perfectly executed um, that, that celebration of life was yesterday. It was really put together by three family friends, the way I understand it. Uh, Karen Pionk, which is Neil Pionk's mom. Um, um, I think Linda Taninato, which is uh, Dominic Taninato's mom. And then, uh, excuse me, uh, that, that's not her name, but uh, Linda Peterson, which is Avery Peterson's mom, but Taninato's mom as well. And I just thought, I could not believe how well it was done. Um, you know, a beautiful mix of, uh, you know, scripture with music. Um, and then the most unbelievable speakers that I've ever heard mixing in both humor and a lot of tear jerking moments. And so the, the task from that is just then capturing it. And, uh, so, you know, went back to my hotel transcribed and, um, on the drive back, I had an hour drive back to my hotel, um, thought of a lot of lines, thought of a lead. Um, first time really I've ever done this where every time I thought of something, I'd spoken to my phone to remind myself, um, just what I wanted to write. And I think that it really turned out to be a, a nice story on what seems to be a tremendous young man and a, and a young man that was lost all too soon. So, um, you know, that was, that was the goal with the story. It's been a really tough, tough, uh, you know, nine days, uh, writing about it. Um, you know, no, I just talked to an agent on the drive back and, and he was saying that like, you know, it's, it's the worst thing that he's seen in 40 years in the business. And, um, I've covered the league now 29 years. I've covered a lot of horrible things on and off the ice. Um, this is something that I've, I hope that we never see again. Agreed. I, I would love to know what you've made of all of the tributes, not just with the funeral, but going across the sporting world. I mean, we've seen the tributes across the hockey world, but just this past weekend in the Premier League, uh, Nottingham Forest uh, having a, a tribute uh, to Adam Johnson in the stands with their fans. Uh, I would love to know your thoughts on what you've yeah. seen across yeah. the sporting world on that. Well, it's also, an, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm the most spiritual person, but sometimes when this stuff happens, I'm always amazed at um certain things. Well, here I'll just show you like one thing. Like, what are the chances? The only the only puck I own is a Nottingham Panthers puck. Like, what are the chances? It's been on my desk for five years. Um, but then like they do a ceremony, a a, a one minute ovation at the forty seven mark of the Premier League game the other day, and Oral Johnson Mangala, middle name Johnson, who goes to all the Panther games when he can scores at the 47 minute mark in the middle of the ceremony and Aaron, Adam Johnson's number was 47. Um, the next night at university of Minnesota Duluth, Adam Johnson's alma mater, the goalie has a career high 47 saves. His one of his best friends in the world, Riley Tufty scores his first professional hat trick the other night. And the third goal is like off the crossbar, off the goalie, off a defender's shin and in. I mean, there's just certain things that happen like this that have, that really sometimes you just wonder, like, you know, is there that that greater power? You know, like it, it's just it's 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 pretty remarkable. And so, um, you know, this kid, I, I you know, um, Omar Paka, who is the CEO and the GM of the Nottingham Panthers, and Kevin Moore, who's an assistant coach, represented the team at yesterday's ceremony. And I got a chance to talk to Kevin Moore, and he said that it was unbelievable how fast the fans in Nottingham took to Adam Johnson. He was their best player, but he had this infectious spirit about him. And everybody that you've ever talked to about Adam Johnson says that he was just an absolutely tremendous teammate that cared more about his teammates' success than his own. And um, and I got a chance to talk to uh, Weston Mashad yesterday, uh, who plays for that Nottingham team. Uh, they all sat around their their computers and watched the, 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 um, the celebration of life from 4,000 miles away. And I think it really helped lift their spirits during an incredibly tough time for that franchise. Um, so it, you know, and then, as I said yesterday, it was just beautiful to see 3000 people in that building um, supporting the family and the friends. You know, Mike, I think when it first happened, there was shock. And then there was talk about whether or not players professionally would start to wear 
neck protection as a result of this. And and very slowly, I'm starting to see more players. And I'll give you a great example in Ottawa. Uh, Claude Giroux and Josh Norris um, didn't wear neck protection the first few days after, but finally for the game on the weekend said, you know what? We had some conversations with people around us and people that matter. And, and, you know, you never want to see somebody's life cut short um, for any reason, not the least of which is an accident on the ice, but you know, the idea that, that Adam's life could potentially protect others down the road is, and I know it's too early for the family and friends to, to think this way, but you know, maybe there is that opportunity that Adam's life, is something that changes safety in the NHL and professional hockey moving forward. Yeah, it's it's really well said, Ian. And yeah, I'm sure they don't take a lot of solace in that. Um, you know, I've got to think that today is probably the hardest day of these nine for them because, you know, now everything's over and now they're living with the reality of what's going on here. But, you know, we talked a little bit about this on last week's show is that, you know, there's ways to protect yourself. And this is the most vulnerable spot on your body and there's no protection. And it could happen to anybody. Um, you, you know, you're playing on on uh, on knives, and could you imagine not coming home to your wife or kids one day because of of something like this? It's it's just horrible. So, um, I, I think that we're going to see. You know, as I said last week, this is a monkey see, monkey do league, um, and now we're starting to see more and more players put it on. I think the most important thing also is is I think that the the you know the industry, the companies really need to do a good job now mass producing this stuff because this isn't high, high demand. I've talked to some NHL equipment managers this week that say that their players and medical uh, trainers, um, because this actually falls to the medical side, believe it or not, uh, cut resistant socks, the wrist guards, this, uh, you know, it's usually ordered by the medical staff and they're having trouble getting them. And the big reason is, you know, you've had a lot of leagues now that are mandating it. So all throughout Canada, you know, Germany today, England, um, and so now it's a matter of making these things and getting them out. You know, I, I was told the other day that Minnesota Duluth called a company to try to get uh, neck guards for their team. And they were told, yep, no problem. We'll have it to you by the start of next season. And this was Adam Johnson's alma mater. Um, so, you know, and then the other thing that we all have to be wary of, especially if you're a parent of a youth player and things like that, is just like the pandemic when all of a sudden everybody made a mask and everybody made disinfectant and everybody made hand sanitizer. And some of it wasn't the greatest quality. I think that right now there's a lot of people that look at this and uh, it can make some money now. And there's companies that that really don't master this technology that are going to start to be like, hey, we got the greatest new net neck guard. And so I think it's very important to do your research and just make sure that whatever you're putting on your neck, if you're a uh, you know men's league player, player, women's league player, youth professional, whatever, is actually of quality that's going to protect you. Um, I'm curious about your opinion when it comes to the player's choice when it comes to wearing this equipment. I I remember speaking to a player last week about this and they were obviously very sad about what happened Mm -hmm. to, to Adam, but they also emphasized a lot about the idea that they still hope that as more and more players decide to do this, that it's still in the player's hands to decide whether or not to wear it. What do you think about that in light of, of what we've seen? I think it's, uh, See, I'm always for player choice. I felt that way with the pride tape. I thought it was stupid that the league just said everybody can't use it. It should be up to whoever wants to. This, I think it should be mandated. Now, it could be grandfathered in. I'm, I'm fine with that. But look, there was a time where nobody played with helmets. There was a time where nobody played with visors. And it's incumbent on the leagues to protect their players. Um, and this is one where, you know, yeah, you could lose an eye and get hit in the head with a puck. This is one, as we've seen, could kill you in the most gruesome manner possible. And I think that it is, this is one that should not be a player choice. It might be for a couple of years as players get older. I, I get that. Um, but one day I hope that everybody's wearing it. You know, there's what, five players left in the league that don't wear a visor. Um, you know, everybody wears a helmet. Um, I, I just I just think this is one where none of us, should be subjected to having to ever see this on a rink that we're at. And, um, and you know, that's why I think there's a lot of real high temperatures out there that, that on social media, we're almost forced to see the Adam Johnson incident. There's almost no way to escape it. And we should never have to see this again. You know, again, we, we'd like to encourage our listeners read uh, Mike's piece on, um, on Adam Johnson, uh, the legacy 
the memorial. I know, like you said, it, it uh, a heavy one for you to write and uh, one that you, you approach in a different way by, like you said, using your voice recorder to, that just, I, to me, that really explains and shows how much care went into this one for you that you really wanted to make sure you get, got that right. So we really encourage our listeners to, uh, to check that out. Just, just pivoting on before we get to your Lindy rough conversation, which we're really excited, um, to, to, to hear and eavesdrop in, um, we want to talk a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks for a second. And, and, and yeah. Quint, I saw the stat, uh, that here's the list of defensemen who have started a season and after 10 games have 20 points and a plus 15 rating or better. And the list is Quinn Hughes and Bobby Orr. That's it. That's the list. And you, you know, what a remarkable start to the season for the Vancouver Canucks. Quinn Hughes, you want to talk about, you know, early, early, early runaway uh, individual trophy leaders. Quinn Hughes has his fingerprints all over that Norris right now, doesn't he? Ten yeah, in. it's a shame Jack got hurt because I'll tell you uh, right now, the way that all three of the Hughes brothers were playing was yeah. beyond special. Um, but I'm really happy for the Canucks and I'm really happy for Quinn Hughes. Um, you know, the Canucks, they've had some hard times the last couple of years. Um, but I've got to know Quinn Hughes a little bit through Brock Besser and just how much respect he has for the Vancouver Canucks captain. And, you know, I just remember about two years, I think it was two seasons ago, Quinn Hughes, every single game dominated the wild. And I remember talking to Dean Evison, the wilds coach, and he went, it's going on and on. He's like, that guy is going to be one of the best defensemen in the league. It's like every time he played the wild, he just absolutely lit him up. And I think that we're seeing that now. Um, he is a heck of a defenseman. Uh, he's starting to really pay attention to the defensive side of the puck. And there's a reason why that franchise looked at him on a team with incredible veterans there, um, you know, from JT Miller, who they committed to long-term, but Elias Pettersson and, and obviously Besser. I mean, there's some great character players in that room and they went with the young Quinn Hughes for that reason. And so um, I think they're starting to see the fruits of that labor of really investing in him and, and, and letting him develop the right way. Now he has, they have a coach in there that's just doing a tremendous job in Rick Tockett. And uh, I think we're starting to see uh, the real Quinn Hughes stand up here. And, you know, whether he gets 100 points is, uh, you know, that's, a, that's, you know, definitely debatable. I think he could do it. Um, but regardless, what's more important is that team is just looks like a, a true contender right now. They're certainly in the Edmonton Oilers heads. Um, and uh, they figure out a way to beat that team every single night. So you think they're for real? I do think they're for real. I, you know, especially as long as Demko's healthy and they get goaltending, you know, their back end still concerns me at times. Um, but the fact that Besser is playing as great as he is and Pedersen's playing so well, it's starting to really make me think it. Now, the thing always with Besser, and again, I, I know I always come back to him, but, you know, I have a really, uh, you know, close relationship with him and I have the most uh, incredible respect level for him as a human being. Um, the thing with him always is health. And if he could stay healthy, he is a guy that could score 40 or 50 goals in this league. The problem with him always there just seems to always hit that time where he gets hurt. But if he continues to play like this, um, you know, and has this chemistry with Elias Pettersson, who's his, you know, best friend on that team. Um, I really do believe that as long as Demko's in that net, that they're going to be really good quality team this year. You know, you uh, were talking about uh, Quinn Hughes and getting to know him and you mentioned Jack Hughes. So before we get to the Lindy Ruff, uh, interview, which by the way, you did before the Hughes injury, yeah. right? We should, yeah. we should point that out for the listeners because that's important. But, but like when you saw Jack go down Friday night into the boards, was your thought the same as Julian and mine? And I think every other hockey fan, like, damn, like this guy is right now might be the best player in the game yeah. and you just don't want to see it happen to him. It would be like, you know, the, the, the Patrick Mahomes injury or like something like, you, you know, yeah. the star player, the elite guy in your league goes down. You don't want to see it. What went through your mind when you saw Jack Hughes go into the boards there? Yeah, I was scared. And and um, thank goodness it sounds like that he's just going to miss a little time, which I assume is the same injury that seems like every hockey player is getting these days. And that's an AC joint um, or something of the of the like, um, as our esteemed producer could tell you in the now extinct uh, athletic hockey show Wednesday roundtable. Uh, the last show that we ever did, I picked Jack Hughes to win the Hart Trophy this year, and that might be now in trouble. Uh, but he was certainly uh, playing like a, like an MVP, and um, he's a heck of a player. And and I just think he, you know, uh, who was it the other day? Uh, it was uh, 
there was somebody that was talking and described him like he he almost like plays the game like he's you know being controlled by a joystick and they showed some video of it and it really is i mean he is the way he is able to dart and move and pivot and everything he's a special player and uh and was just having a phenomenal start to the season enjoyed talking to lindy about him i've known lindy since 1995 um you could have gone on and on about some of our old stories uh, covering the Florida Panthers. Um, I was in the Marlins press box in 1997, believe it or not, when he became the Buffalo Sabres coach. Uh, three or four years later, the one thing I didn't talk about in this podcast that one day we have to talk to Lindy about or Brian Campbell about is uh, Lindy played an incredible practical joke on uh, Brian Campbell after a Panthers-Buffalo Sabres game once where he had the team bus after a win pulled over by the Broward County Sheriff's Department and rookie Brian Campbell taken off the bus and had his bags packed, and they found some, you know, stuff that that everybody knew that no. they in there and uh, put him in cuffs and everything. I mean, it was a total practical joke. And I ran out there because I got a tip. I'm like, you're not gonna believe this. The Savers bus was pulled over, and I ran out there thinking I had the biggest story in the world. And I was quickly told, uh, "No, we're playing a joke on one of our rookies right now." And the father of that idea, the brainchild, was apparently the head coach. Um, and that's what you're going to see here. I think with this, this thing is that Lindy says, I mean, he's like in this, in his sixties, but yet he's like a 20 year old at heart. You know, he goes in there and waxes these guys in ping pong. Um, like he is, he's just, the door's always open. Um, he knew when he became the, the, that coach that this was his job was to sink or swim with these prospects, but they were going to, they were going to put him right in the NHL and that he was going to coach them and develop them and get them to this point. And last year they went a playoff round. This year, they're a true contender in the East, and uh, I think a lot of it is because they got such a great, great hockey lifer that, like Todd McClellan that I talked to a couple of weeks ago, has adjusted his coaching style because, as we all know, young guys don't often relate to the older coaches. Um, I remember when Todd Richards became the head coach here, James Shepard uh, said to us on the record, what we like about Todd is that he played the game. And I'm like, uh, you know Jacques Lemaire, the coach right before the coach you, he was in the Hall of Fame. Just so you know that, you know, just like he, it was like he didn't realize it. But in, from a 21-year-old's perspective, it's like Todd Richards was this young guy he could relate to or Jacques wasn't. Lindy Ruff has continued to coach, you know, the Jamie Benz and Tyler Sagan's at young ages, the Jason Pomadils, the Thomas Vanek's at young ages, and yet he keeps on getting older, yet he could walk into a room with, you know, Dawson Mercer and Jesper Brad and Nico Heischer and, and J Jack Hughes, and somehow these guys that love playing for him. So. I just think it's a it's a heck of a story right now what's going on in Jersey, and I think a lot of it has to do with the guy that we're about to talk to. Yeah, and uh, 17 years ago, Lindy Ruff won the Jack Adams. Think about that. Yeah. 17 years ago, he won the Jack Adams, and he's still behind the bench and maybe a candidate to uh, to pull it off again. So, uh, listen, thanks for uh, for dropping by. We're super eager to, to listen to this interview. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll hit you up again at some point. Hopefully, our schedules. Well, we'll we're going to cross paths in Stockholm, you and I, next week. So yes, absolutely. Looking forward to that. Maybe we can yeah. figure out a podcasting thing there. But um, yeah, thanks again for for dropping by, and I hope everybody enjoys. Here's a conversation with Mike Russo and Lindy Ruff. And uh, really uh, happy to be joined by Lindy Ruff, uh, first in the NHL amongst active uh, coaches and victories, fifth all time in wins. And uh, Lindy, you and I go back. A long, long time back to uh, before Doug McLean was a uh, was an author, a uh, <laughs> a uh, you know really proud uh, best selling author as he would like to tell uh, everybody. And uh, here you are. I mean, I've known you since the mid nineties, and you're still in this game. I still remember sitting in the Marlins press box in 1997 when you took the job to uh, to coach the Buffalo Sabers. Does it even amaze you that you are still doing this at the highest level? Well, you know, I think first, very fortunate to still be doing it. Uh, been surrounded by a lot of great personnel from management to players and good teams. And, um, you know, I think the through the years, you have to adapt, you have to adjust, you have to grow, you have to continually keep up with the game and where the game's at and where the players are at. Uh, uh, the game has been constantly changing. The uh, skill, the speed in the game, the... Uh, the youth that's in the game is incredible. And the the level of play from the youth in the game is, you know, I think is is growing every year. And I mean, and 
no better example than the New Jersey Devils right now. I mean, you have Jack Hughes, who's been on a ridiculous pace here the last year, and and you see the way that guys like Nico Heischer have grown, Jesper Bratt, uh, you know, Mercer. It just seems like when you took over this team, you you knew what the job was at hand, that it was going to be draft and development, and, and here you are, and you're watching these guys grow in front of your very eyes. Yeah, you know, I think the... Uh, the important part was the relationship between Tom and I, where we talked about uh, letting these guys grow, uh, understanding that where we're at, uh, that it might be painful some nights, uh, but understanding that they're going to have to play through some mistakes. But at the same time, they're going to have to learn. They're going to have to grow. Um, you know, those first two years, it, it wasn't pretty. There was a lot of games that I think we, we could have won. Mm-hmm. We were right there. We didn't finish. We didn't quite have the finish. Uh, but we saw a lot of great things out of a Brad, out of a Hughes, you know, a, a, even a, a a Mercer, and and now what uh, what we're seeing is the dividends of you know that type of patience. Where uh, understanding that they needed to get a little stronger, they needed to understand the game a little bit more, and uh, those guys are having uh, a lot of success. You uh you, you know I look think back to your Buffalo days when you had you know the Thomas Vanex and the Derek Roy's the Pominvilles. You go to Dallas, you have a young Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. How, how has the game changed where you're still at this age able to relate to a Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer? Oh, I have a lot of fun with these guys. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I I think I'm a 19-year-old in a 60-year-old's body, but the, uh, the the fact that you know you can have conversations and you can laugh and you, you can talk about stuff that's totally not related to, really related to hockey. Um you know, talk about what you did the day before. What'd you do in your day off? Uh, uh, you know, on the odd occasion, you play a game of ping pong with a player. Mm-hmm. And at, at age 60, there are 60-some, take them down the odd time. Yes. You know? So, you know, we have a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun, uh, uh, you know, inside the room. I, I think they understand the the hardness of coaching, but they understand when we were just sitting there socializing, too. Yeah, Tom. Tom Fitzgerald always tells me that that you were probably when you were a young Lindy Ruff, you probably beat everybody in everything, whether it was darts or <laughs> you know one on one at you know on the basketball court, obviously hockey. But ping pong is the one thing where that's what I hear. Like they'll have these tournaments in the locker room, and you'll just step in one day and just wipe them all out. Well, you know, I think the I've always been kind of a gamesman when it came to even you know growing up playing the game. Uh, I lived with Mike Ramsey. We had a <laughs> we had a pool table and we had a ping pong table. We had in an unfinished basement back in the eighties, and you know we would go down there every day, and uh, somebody would lose, and then mm-hmm. somebody would have to cook dinner. Somebody would lose at another game, and somebody would have to do dishes. And uh, uh, kind of grew up, you know, playing games, just enjoying. I mean, now it's it's changed. You, know, you pull your phone out; it's video games. Yeah, uh, the games are a lot more high tech. Uh, but I think the uh, the competition part is the part that I still love. Right. You know, whether I get beat or or whether I beat somebody, it, I, I think it doesn't matter. But if you can throw a little jab at somebody afterwards, it, you're having a good time. Yep. Do you, you have a tradition when you come to Minnesota to go see Mike Ramsey? Did you see him last night? Saw him and, last night. Yeah, yeah. How's he doing? Hey, he's doing great. What a what a great man. Yeah. You know, I, Mike and I spent a lot of time together. Uh, a lot of great memories. Uh, we cherish every moment we get, every minute we get. We talk about, uh, you know, the playing days. We talk about the coaching days. Uh, um, you know, I offered him a couple times after he had kind of retired. I said, you know, chance to come back. You know, I'm changing jobs. And <laughs> he wouldn't take it. But, uh, you know, one of the great Minnesota hockey players, uh, you know, Olympic gold medalist. And uh, a guy I, I admire for, for how he played the game. Mm-hmm. And and really for how he treated people, I think yeah. as a as a coach, he was so well respected by our guys. He was, I think he he was probably the glue of our coaching staff even in Buffalo when we started. Uh, a guy that made sure everybody was included. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, I can't say enough good things about uh, probably one of my best friends. Yeah, yeah, an original wild coach uh, here in Minnesota as an assistant as well. Um, one of my favorite pictures that Tom Fitzgerald once sent me is a picture of you at the Pompano Harness Track as an assistant <laughs> coach with the uh, with the Florida Panthers. You're there with a young Tom Fitzgerald, a young, I think it was Jesse Belanger, Brian Benning, and Jeff Smith, if yeah, I remember correctly. Yeah, no. um, and it just, it, I mean, that picture to me, what it, it's shocking is like, who would have thought at that age that one day he'd be hiring you? 
you as a coach <laughs> of his team. Um, but it, it really just shows uh, your relationship just back to then. Tom, as a player, how, how much respect level was there between the two of you? Oh, God. I, I remember first as him as a player, you know, mm -hmm. that how hard he played the game, like, like how hard he was to play against uh, uh, and, and, and love playing the game. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're that hard to play against and you play that hard, you end up playing the number of games you do because a lot of teams like you or a lot of teams want you. And he played for a lot of teams and he played well for a lot of teams and he played a lot of different roles. So I think he understands you know, being an offensive player, he understands being that defensive guy, he understands being the penalty mm -hmm. killer. Uh, he understands every aspect of the game. Um, I, you know, I think I took him down in the harness race. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I will admit I cheated uh, <laughs> because my stable said I, I was supposed to go be five wide, but they said, listen, they're not restarting this race. Get as close to the rail as you can. So I pulled in on the two spot right off the bat, and the guys were yelling at me, but like he said, they didn't restart it. And off the race went, and I, I finished second. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, you know, it, it is really cool to see the maturation of this franchise. I mean, you know, as you mentioned a couple of years ago, it was tough sledding for a while. Then all of a sudden, you're at that point, you're taking the next step, you signed Dougie Hamilton, and now it just seems like the kids are ready to really, you, you win a playoff round last year. I mean, how much do you look at this now as sort of the next step of the the Devils? And this is the time to really, in a very, very tough conference, very tough division, kind of make ground. Yeah, and I think the understanding you, you just said is we're in a very tough conference in a very mm -hmm. tough division with, with some very tough teams. Uh, to remain consistently good, I really believe has to be, it has to come from defending. Like we made a huge step in defending last year. Uh, our defending game hasn't been quite up to par at mm -hmm. the start of this season. Uh, I thought our last couple games better uh, with uh, cutting down on, you know, inner slot shots and the stuff out of the middle of the ice and making sure that we're tracking back. You know, speed is a great tool. It's mm -hmm. a great tool for offense, but it's an even better tool for defense because when you can get back and you can take lanes away and keep people out of the middle of the ice, um, you can use that night in, night out to frustrate the heck out of oppositions. And, and I think that last year was the backbone of, of how we got to where we got to. We, we were tough to play against. Mm -hmm. We were tough away from the puck. Uh, we're close to that right now, but I, I think we've, we haven't been quite as good as last year. And, I mean, how sometimes when you're so gifted offensively, you have such a ridiculous power play. Is that part of the, the balances that you have to get them to not always cheat and yeah. to really think of that side of the ice? I mean, it's a good point. I mean, our, I think our power play has matured like the rest of the group. Yeah. The, the understanding of what's available, the, the understanding of sometimes just funneling pucks there, making sure people are there, uh, you know, tip-ins around the, around the net. If you look at the Toffoli goal mm -hmm. last game, just the quick, Cross the uh, cross the crease play that you know you get that tip in that's hard to defend. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought last year sometimes we looked for too perfect a play and didn't score a lot of those. So um, I think our coaches have done a great job with our power play guys uh, making adjustments in game and from game to game depending mm -hmm. on how teams are killing. And but I think a Hughes, a Brat, you know, uh, even a Luke Hughes now on the back end that left-handed yeah. one-time option has given us some bigger threats. But I think our young guys have a better understanding of, you know, how good power plays operate and have done a great job of, you know, entering the puck into the zone. Uh, sometimes that's that can be very frustrating if you don't get in on the first couple of rushes because you've wasted probably 30 or 40 seconds. Um, Jesper Pratt, uh, I was at, at the NHL media tour in Sweden, and I don't know if there's a player that impressed me more than him. I mean, he's such a smart guy. Uh, you know, incredible quote, uh, and and just turning into a heck of a player. But I remember two, three years ago, uh, you know, there was big debate on how good he could be if he didn't start to get on the inside and and things like that. But he is he has turned into a, really one of your best all around players. Well, I think you know you look at some of your high skill players, and mm -hmm. ours are on the I, you know faster. You could say smaller size, uh, but dynamic. Like Jesper is dynamic. He's dynamic in small ice. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if there's a D-man in this league that isn't scared when he comes down the right side and can stutter step. He can turn up, instantly turn yeah. up and look for, for late people on delays. Um, his, his game has just it's gotten to a, a new level. I, I don't even know if I thought he would get there, uh, but you mentioned inside. And I think inside play, like the, the flash screens, getting around the net, looking for second opportunities, I think that's the part of the game that is starting to get better with – with some of our players and especially with Jesper. And I think 
he's a real student of the game. Uh, probably our hardest working guy when it comes to away from the away from the ice, mm-hmm. his off ice workouts, his attention to detail and in, in meetings. Uh, so he's really grown as a player and he's, he's turned into a dynamic guy. And you look at the numbers right now and he's on a real good pace. Yeah. Um, I got I mean, I know I've talked about Hughes a, a little bit, but he is a unique personality. I mean, f- fun, uh, you know, has that Zegers type of <laughs> personality, I would say, um, you know, t- to see him mature into this, did you expect it this soon? Um, well, I, I, I can just tell you that there was some plays that there was no other players I've seen make in the last couple of years. And two years ago, there was a couple of games where he just had the puck all game. And, and when he had it, his skating was so dynamic. And, and some of his lateral movement when he hit the line was so dynamic to get off the wall and get inside. Mm-hmm. Cutbacks on, on players when, you know, he got to the top of the circle. Because we all know if you can get to the inside, uh, you know, a lot of things open up. So uh, we, we saw a lot of it. I think some of it is, is the strength. Some of it is now his shot is so much better. I think it, everything is just sort of mm-hmm. caught up. He's a, he's a stronger person. He understands the game better. Uh, he knows where to go to create that little bit of offense. Mm-hmm. And it always seems like a player like Jack, the, the puck follows him around the ice. Yeah. Uh, and he he knows where to go. The uh, And just lastly, yeah, because you do have a game to here to prepare for, uh, Lindy. But, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in your building on Sunday. It's a 5 p.m. game. The, the Giants and Jets just finish. And you're building, there's probably not an empty seat in there. Um, it, it just, you know, it was a really reminder to me that Devils fans are some of the best in the league. Uh, you know, I covered a lot of those, uh, you know, uh, series with, when they won cups. I covered that uh, Florida, New Jersey series in 2000 when they swept them. Um, how just nice is it for the fans to, one, be back, but two, to have so- something to really root for here and to maybe see something special here down the line in the next year or so? Yeah, you know when when you look at it, and you know the pain you go through in those couple of years, and I think the frustration of 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 not winning, but all of a sudden to you know turn the corner and be that team that can cons- consistently uh, be in the fold night in night out, win hockey games. Uh, you know our building has been fantastic. I think the the energy in our building last year in Game Seven against the Rangers, first to <laughs> play you know play a series against the Rangers where. You know, a good number of the fans can be Ranger fans, uh, but right across the river, the energy in our building, uh, you know, after we scored the first goal and after we scored the second goal, I, you know, you thought it could get loud, it got louder. Mm-hmm. And then the third goal, the, you know, it was like, it was this momentum that kept building inside the building. And I think the fans right now, they're getting to see a, like a different Devils team. You know, the, the previous yeah. Devils team was a lock it down, tough defensive, you know, um, they're getting to see a group that can create a lot that offensively can be really dangerous. So uh, they're getting, they're getting a group of players now that is a lot different than maybe they were used to, let's say 15 years ago. Yeah. I I still remember those games where if you dumped the puck on Marty, there was no four check. (laughs) That thing would be back in your zone within a minute. No, Marty was was one of the best defensemen they had for a long time. And you know, they slowed people up. Yeah. When Marty got to the puck, he, he broke it out as good as anybody. Yeah, yeah. By the way, what's your best Ken Danico story? I had a chance to hang out with him a bit last night. And that, I mean, the stories from him on, uh, are always hilarious. But uh, my, my best Ken Danico, really, from, from playing days, was just making sure I stayed away from him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was, he was an angry player <laughs> to play against. Like, yeah. I would tell him, Kenny, like one cross check in front of the net was probably yeah. a message to get out of here. But the second one was, I'll break your arm if you don't yeah, leave. Yeah. So, and I told him most times I left. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still remember the 2000s. Or, I mean, like, or it was, would have been a little earlier than that. Him just clubbing uh, Dino Cicerelli like three times on the ice, and even <laughs> Dino didn't go near the net again. Hey, I, remiss. I did want to ask you one thing. Um, you know the the situation with Adams Johnson who passed away uh, last week uh, in England, and you you really tight with Clint Larchuk. You played with him. I think you were in. Uh, still on that team in 89 when he had the issue or did you I, I just wasn't, get left? I wasn't, but I was involved oh. with the, the Zednik when Zednik. Right, uh, right. 
Yeah, in fact, if I remember correctly, you were just traded to the Rangers. Uh, yeah, they, they, yeah. The, the one with Buffalo. But, I mean, you know, one, how, how obviously the tragic – I mean, the, you've seen this right firsthand, but but how much do you think that maybe it's time to start getting some neck protection or or you, you've played the game? I mean, how restrictive are these things? Is it imperative that they work on the technology? I, I think they've worked incredibly hard on the technology and – in the fact that I've never tried to put one on or try to play with one on, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me to judge. But I think every team has the tools now to supply the player to protect, you know, against a, a cut Achilles. Yep. Uh, you know, you, we've had the cut wrists. Um, you know, this is an incredible tragedy that I think sometimes you learn from. I mean, why did they put the netting above the glass? Yeah. Because of what happened in a building. Yep. Um, I think that when players start to grow up wearing it, is when it really catches traction, or if, if it's mandated, it has to be worn. Yeah. Um, so I know that's hard, but I, I think there's there's an opportunity here for, for some players to grow and, and be part of that movement to protect themselves even better. I don't yep. know how big that movement's going to be, uh, but you'd really hate to lose a player, even, I mean, uh, of any caliber inside the game, when you know you, you could have had some type of protection that – helps guard against it. Yep. Well said. Hey, Lindy, as always, I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, lots of luck this season. Cannot wait to see where you guide this team. Thanks, Michael. Great uh, being with you. Yep. Thanks. That is Lindy Ruff. Back to you, Julian and Ian. So there we go. Uh, great conversation, a wide ranging conversation with Mike Russo and, uh, and Lindy Ruff. And yeah, what, what a, what a great career. And he's kind of, I don't want to say he's reinvented himself, but he's, in that conversation, you find out how he's been able to stay relevant, right? Like I, like I said, this guy wanted Jack Adams 17 years ago, took the Sabres to the, the finals in 1999. That's a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. Still relevant. Like, I remember, you remember uh, after that uh, 99 Stanley Cup when obviously there's yeah. the controversial Brett Hall goal and he stands in front of everyone in Buffalo. And he's like, I got two words for this summer. No goal, and then he like oh, walks this- off. Like that's one of the cooler like sound bites. One other thing that was interesting to me too was him describing the early days of the New Jersey Devils while he was coaching them, and how there were some lean times before it got to the point that they're at now. It's easy to forget. Like there was a point where fans were so frustrated with this Devils team that like they weren't going to games. Like I like it's kind of wild to think about that, but like as long as I've been alive, I've known the New Jersey Devils to be a good team. They've won Stanley Cups. They have one of the greatest goaltenders to have ever lived to have played in their franchise. And there was this like random middle part in the 2010s where they just were not a good team and fans were frustrated with the, with the direction they were going and they did not want to go to games. And now they find themselves in a position where they're a contending team. It's just really fascinating to see. It's unfortunate that Jack Hughes is hurt, but they're still a legit team in that Eastern Conference. Yeah, they are, and Lindy Ruff is doing a great job. And again, you go back to last year, and they were chanting inside the in, inside the Prudential Center, "Fire Lindy, fire Lindy!" Right, and then they got on a ten-game winning streak, and then it was "Sorry, Lindy." Sorry, and, Lindy. And that takes us right to uh, a little bit of fallout in Ottawa. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We talked about this DJ Smith. Crowd was chanting, fire DJ. Brady Kachuk came back and basically said it was BS, fans' behavior. Um, you know, DJ Smith, it was really interesting. Uh, DJ Smith spoke to us Monday and a very enlightening conversation. And DJ Smith just basically, obviously, backed his captain. And then what I thought was interesting on Tuesday, Brady Kachuk spoke to us, Julian. And it's our first time talking to him since the the sort of, uh, we'll call it, emotional post-game session on Saturday. and. You know, I think I asked the question to Brady right off the top. I said, you know, there's been a lot of discourse in the market around your comments. I'm wondering how you've sort of paid attention to all of this and, you know, what's your feelings on how this has all played out 
in the last 48 hours. And he's like, well, to be honest with you, I've deleted my social media. So I don't know. And uh, I, I don't know, like I, whether he did or not, like, the, I don't know. I'm thinking at maybe, maybe he's deleted the app off of his phone. Maybe, but he hasn't gotten off altogether. No way. In fact, I think he was posting on Instagram. He had like Instagram stories on the weekend. But can we say this? You can keep Instagram and not have any clue about what's going on with your team. It's X. It's other other platforms are more. Instagram, you could be there and just like, doo, doo, doo. you'd have no idea that a team is melting down on Instagram, would you? Or a fan base. Brady Kachuk has... I presumably friends, family. Did you say he has a wife? He's married. Yeah. Like he has people around him who use social media. So yeah. even if he wanted to say that he isn't on social media, I have a very hard time believing that he has completely shut himself off from that world. So especially off the fact that there are people around him who are definitely on social media and definitely could see stuff that has been said about him. He's not like my dad who has like no, like no one's talking about my dad on social media. A lot more people are interested in what Brady Kachuk does uh, for the Ottawa senators. So when I hear him say that he does, he's not really on social media, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. And even if it is true, he has enough people around him that, you know, if, if something is said about him or enough people say stuff about him, word will eventually get back to Brady Kachuk and I believe that of any young player to be quite honest with you like I mean I, I think there are guys who find ways to not let social media bother bother them and, and that's not to say that social media is a bother to Brady Kachuk there's a clear difference between that and staying in the loop about what's going on I just think that when a player says that they're off social media like that doesn't mean that they're completely off grid like they could find a way to know what's going on or what's being said about them even burner. if they're not directly on these yeah. apps. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say he has a burner. I'm not gonna go that far. I know you're not saying that. I'm just saying, like, when he says he's not on social media, I'm like, eh, okay, all right. You're so so you're gonna know what's being said. Claude Giroux also was pretty pointed in his comments today. I saying thought those were fascinating. All this stuff about DJ Smith, uh, the quote and, and Claude was basically, hey, it's getting old. Fans of the media talking about DJ. It's frustrating. He's our coach. He's not going anywhere. We want to play for him. And 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 I get that. I get that. But you got to win games now. Like, like I, I get that you want to play for DJ Smith and that you believe in him as a coach. And I get that. But now as a group, Claude Giroux, Brady Kachuk, Timmy Stutzla, Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, Jake Chikrin, Jake Sanderson, you know, all these guys. Corpus Salo, Forsberg, you got to go now and, and show us that you want to play for this coach because the results are, are, are not acceptable in this market. They might have been acceptable three years ago, but they're not acceptable now. And so the days of moral victories are done. And, and if I were them, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd start to tread a little cautiously now about taking shots at the media and the fans because there are there are 99 reasons why you've won four out of 10 games. I'm not one of them. The fans aren't one of them. And and they they know that. They know that inside that room. And I think that's a mature enough group in there with, with Claude Giroux. Brady's been around long enough. They know that. And they just need to go out there and win a game. That, that's all like they got to do. I feel, I feel like you're taking that a little personally. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, when, when somebody says they're tired of the media talking about it, well, who's the media? We are. Like, what do you mean? Do you, you think we're tired of losing, too? Like, everyone's tired of it. Um, but but I, I understand what he's saying. I understand what they're all saying. And you know what? You want to take runs at the media? I think that's okay. I do think that's okay. Um, because we're right there. We're, we're accountable to them and vice versa. Just don't take shots at the fans would be my piece of advice. That's all. Like, run me. You want to run me? This is where I do the uh, the Mike Gundy. I'm a man. I'm 40. Actually, I'm 46, but still. But you know what I mean, right? Like, I don't see the benefit. I don't see the benefit of a drive-by of the fans here at this stage of the game. 
There's there's no point. There's no I'm point. Still, I'm still laughing about the Mike Gundy reference, man. Was it that, Mike, that was it wasn't it Gundy, wasn't it? It was it was Mike Gundy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm, a man. I'm 40. I'm 40. Yeah. Just pull he's hold up the newspaper, be like three fourths of this is inaccurate and all that. That's a, yeah. that's one of the more classic sports rants. Yeah. You know what we're overdue for in the NHL? A classic sports rant. Like the Brady Kachuk rant is, is good. Mike Andlauer last week. Okay, sorry. Yes, you're right. Is that Mike not good? No, that was that was really good. That was really good. We're gonna go back Mike to Mike Andlauer We're actually gonna some, go back to some... Yes, you're absolutely right. You're Kachuk, right, you're right, you're right. Good, but but you know what? Kachuk was like a could like that was like a controlled burn. What yeah. we're looking for is like somebody who just goes off for like 90 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it. Yeah. You're, that's fair. Michael Landlauer deserves his, deserves his props for that. I'm not going to disrespect him. But I, I, I look at that team in Ottawa and they got to start winning games. They got three games before they go to Sweden. Uh, the problem is for them, they got Toronto on Wednesday. That's a tough one. Mm hmm. And then they got Vancouver at home right away the next night. So they, they Vancouver is going to be sitting at home in Ottawa, waiting for them, watching them play at Toronto. So Canucks are arguably the hottest team in the league or certainly in the conversation. It's going to be tough for Ottawa to sweep these next two games. My point being, this narrative that your season is slipping away is likely going to still be there on Friday and Saturday. You need to just do a better job if you're the the management and the and and the coaching staff and the leadership group of blocking out the noise and just go win some games and we'll all shut but, up you won't see it you won't see a negative column for me if you win games nah you're definitely taking you're definitely taking this personal i get that i'll no, also I'm add this too it i'll also add just, this too I'm, you know what i'm, I'm upset too. for the fans that's what i'm i'm you know what yeah. that's what it is i'm upset for the fans who have this is year 7 now of this like Come on, like the, the Calgary Flames in this same window. I don't window, blame you for being upset. Yes, and I'm, I'm not. I'm mad for the fans. That's who I'm mad for because I know this this community cares and they want to see their team win. That's all. That's all. I don't. You know what? Whether they win or not, I I'd, I'd prefer to cover a winning team. Don't get me wrong. Me too. But, me too. But you don't. You don't think but I they want, deserve you don't more? Think I want, the, yeah, all of them deserve think, more here. Yeah, I think yeah, I think our markets, and that's probably why we're coming up with that collab piece. Like, I think ultimately we all think that our fans deserve a little bit more, especially from the people yeah. who are running these organizations. And I'm sure that I mean there are a lot of people in both of our markets who want the best for those teams that are doing as best as they can. But at the end of the day, our job is to point out when it's good and bad and call for things to be better. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of calling for things to be better, you're out for the Wednesday show, replaced by Jesse Granger. Hey, wait a minute. Hey. <laughs> hey, no, we are, but that, that's because you're uh, now. Where are you headed? Uh, I'm headed to Toronto. Uh, so I'm gonna be. So the Flames are on a three game uh, road trip. Uh, Toronto. I'm leaving for that to, for that city tomorrow. I'll be in Ottawa on Saturday. Uh, Guess what? So you'll see you me. won't see me. Oh, I'll be in your province, which is funny because. Uh, wait, you mean wait, time out, time out. You'll be in my province, as in my home province, or the province that I currently reside in now. The province you currently reside in now. So you're going you to Alberta, you're going out, you're going to Alberta on Saturday? Dude, I, dude, I got a wedding, I got a, a family wedding on the weekend, and then I gotta go. Imagine routing from Edmonton to Stockholm. That's what I'm doing. Well, at least you're doing that and not doing like Edmonton, then back to Ottawa, and then back. And then, yeah. and then going over to Sweden. Well, no, I am, I am. The way my flight comes back, I do come back through here, but I'm not, I'm not staying here, but I do come back right. through here. Oh, yeah. okay. So it works out that way. But yeah, I'm doing Toronto, Ottawa, and then Montreal. Uh, okay. So this, so this Wednesday, tomorrow, and next Wednesday are travel days for me. So I won't be on the Wednesday shows. Well, and since you'll be listen, in Stockholm, we'll, well, we'll figure out how that show's going to yeah, look we'll, like too. We'll because figure out I might something. have to hold it down for you. But, uh, but listen, do me a favor and cover that game on Saturday for me in Ottawa. All right. If, if something goes down with the Senators, I need you to be there. <laughs> I got you. I got you. All right. Again, uh, Julian, safe travels to you, my friend. We'll uh, look forward to your coverage uh, later this week in Eastern Canada. Jesse Granger's going to gonna pop. Yeah, Jesse Granger's going to pop by. Down goes Brown on a Wednesday, too. That's going to be a lot of fun. So that does it for the Tuesday edition of the podcast. Uh, enjoy the hockey tonight. Safe travels to you, Julian, and uh, we'll get you next time. Peace.